Hello, it's Pete here, and welcome again to EdTech Innovators. This week, it's about preparing mentally for a job. How do you do this? Especially as your job interview may actually be on Zoom, or even worse, on Teams. This week, we've got Lisa Avery, a positive psychologist. Enjoy. You can see your work as a job, as a career, or as a vocation. So people who tend to see their work as a job, they're really just in it for the financial gain. So it's about getting that paycheck at the end of the month. And there isn't very much psychological investment. And then there are people who see their work as a career. So this is all about advancing. It's about going up, climbing the career ladder and really, you know, making your mark in that way through status, through recognition. And finally, we can see our work in terms of a vocation. So work that really combines our strengths, our talents, our passions, our values, and work that really makes a difference to other human beings. So we have that wonderful feeling of giving back. And I think teaching is the ultimate vocation. So it's about getting really clear about why teaching is a vocation for you and how you're going to articulate that through the whole job process. And that starts, I think, with realizing just why on a personal level, it does indeed matter so much for you. And that's really going to determine your choice, you know, the kind of school you work with, the kind of students you're working with. Um, first of all, you've got to get that clarity about why does this matter so much to you? Okay, so you have the power then, don't you? You have the power, the power to think about um, what you want to expect you know, psychologically from this job, how it should feel, how you want it to feel, even before you actually apply for the job in the first place. Absolutely. The, the power is all yours. You know, this is a very strong sense of vocation that most people feel because it's not always an easy path. You know, people who are training to be teachers right now, they know that the experience they've had hasn't been the best through no fault of their own. There's a huge amount of resilience, I think, that will have gone into preparing to get to where they are now. So, I, I mean, you should feel pretty empowered. This is a really exciting career path and it's a career career path I think that emotionally psychologically it's very very fulfilling for most people you, you know it's that idea that in life things can be meaningful but not always pleasurable so you know for people who are teachers for people who are working in the NHS right now there can be this huge sense of meaning attached to a job that doesn't always bring about the most positive emotions Yet what we found is that human beings tend to crave that deeper sense of meaning because they know the positive emotions will come and go in life. So teaching is probably one of the strongest vocations, I think, that human beings really feel, that human beings really endorse or have. So I think this is a perfect opportunity within the application process to really show, to really elaborate upon what that actually means to that person. Mm, and leading on from that, let's talk about the, that personal statement uh, process and, and the application itself, the application of form, because the, I think the main barrier that many um, training teachers and many people applying for, for jobs will have at the moment is what have I really achieved over the last few months? You know, because mm. they should be achieving uh, a great deal within a classroom, but, but because they're not you know, in a classroom as much as they would like to be, um, then there is a feeling that they're not achieving the same, whereas they are achieving a great deal, a hell of a lot under extremely challenging circumstances. So how can they um, move towards making that abundantly clear that you know, I've achieved so much and you should be impressed by that? 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I think so much in life, what you achieve but it's what you reflect upon after that achievement it's about the learning made along the way you know and I think that's really important to say so in reference to, to positive psychology and to one of my favorite models within positive psychology I, I think we can draw upon this and find something really useful from this when thinking about personal statement and when thinking about the application form I think there are five things you need to make really really clear and that is that from teaching you do derive a range of positive emotions this is the p out of perma so the first the first element of perma which is the framework to happiness and meaning in life but i think you'll see now why i think you can apply this to work too um, so the first P is for positive emotions. The second D is for engagement. The third letter is the R, which is for relationships. The next letter is M, which is for meaning. And the final letter is A, which is for accomplishment. Now, I think you need to make it clear that you experience each of these five things within your role. OK, so when we think about the P for positive emotions, Let's think about the sense of pride when something is done well. Let's think about that. Let's think how we can put this into words. Let's think about the sense of happiness and joy you feel when you see a student make just a tiny bit of progress because all progress in life is very incremental, isn't it? It's very much little by little. Um, let's think about that sense of joy, that sense of serenity, curiosity. You know, when we speak about positive emotions, most human beings just think about happiness, you know, that elated sense of, of happiness and joy. But in actual fact, there's that curiosity, there's pride. And curiosity is a very powerful driving human emotion. And it's one that you as an educator are going to need to feel if you really want to make progress in this field. You're going to want to be curious about how you can make the other human beings around you feel that curiosity, that desire to learn. So within the letter of P, think about how you can show that you feel that broad range of human emotions, of positive human emotions, and really articulate that. Mm. On to the E, Pete. Uh, sorry? Shall I go on to the next letter, to the E? Absolutely, please do. This is wonderful. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you. And so the E is about engagement. Now, I think it's really important that you show your employers just how engaged with the teaching profession you are. Let me give you a clue. Moments of engagement are those moments of flow, what we call psychological flow. And that is when you're so absorbed in the task at hand that you lose all sense of time and all sense of self. And the idea is the task at hand is neither too easy nor too difficult. If not, it presents an optimal challenge. And you could be doing anything. You could be speaking to students. You could be reading a story. You could be writing a report. You could be doing absolutely anything in life. But think specifically, which are those moments on the job when you really lose that sense of time, that sense of self, because these are the moments of optimal engagement. And usually these are the moments when you're using your key strands, what we call your signature strands, which I'll talk about later, because it's really important that you do get a sense of what your strengths and your values are and articulate these two. But these moments of flow, 
I think it's really useful to pick to pinpoint and to actually make reference to within that personal statement, because these will be the parts of the job that you enjoy the most and probably you do the best. So very much something to highlight. OK, we've got the P and we've got the R. Uh, sorry, we've got the P and we've got the E. We then need to think about the R, which is all about relationships. Am I OK to keep going? Yeah, please do. Well, could I make a, a very small interruption if that's, if that's okay with you, just going back to the E. Um, so I think that what, what's really interesting about this and what's really useful about it is that the focus is on is on what you have achieved and what you haven't, what's not, what's not, what isn't missing from your achievements, if that makes sense. So because there's yeah. so much missing from the training teachers' experience because of lockdowns, um, that they can focus on that sometimes. Whereas if they focus on what they have done, what they have achieved, then there's so much there where they can communicate that flow, as you were saying before. Absolutely, Pete. And I think, you know, whilst we can't talk about the things we haven't yet achieved, we can very much speak about the things we're looking forward to. And I think, you know, at the end of a personal statement, and I mean, we'll come to this in a second, um, at the end of the personal statement, it's great to show your aspirations, you know, thinking about the skills, the talents, the strengths that you have, thinking about the experiences that you've spoken about so far and that you've drawn upon so far how would you like to take these forward? You know, what are the missing pieces that you haven't yet experienced that you would like to experience? Um, I don't think there's anything wrong. In fact, I think it's great that you do indeed have these aspirations and that you make them crystal clear at the end of your personal statement. You know, for me, the beginning part, it's about who you are. It's about your strengths, your talents, your passions, your values, how you really infuse these and bring them to life through teaching. And then the middle part, you know, it's about your experience to date but towards the end I see the end part of your personal statement as a place in which you can really reflect on where you'd like to be in an aspirational way you know yeah and, and this of course the, the, maybe the skill there is making that based upon evidence as it were so what you have done and where that's all leading so rather than have rather than expressing something imaginative like oh I'd like to introduce our packet onto, onto, the, onto the screen for school um, <laughs> you want it to be based on something you have achieved so far that you actually built something you would like to build on further. Absolutely. I think it's good to show an awareness, too, of, you know, the skills that you would like to really work on to get to where you want to be. Like you say, I don't think it should be sort of totally imagined and dream inspired. I think it should be realistic in inverted commas. And I think it's great if you're able to show the insight, thinking about your strengths, thinking about what you do best, but also thinking about where you would like to develop. You know, I wouldn't say necessarily highlighting your weaknesses, but perhaps saying because, you know, what's really interesting is the fact that all too often weaknesses are nothing but strengths overplayed. So people who are just doing what they do, but doing too much of what they do well or doing it in the slightly inappropriate way at the wrong time. For example, take the, the top character strength of kindness. A, a person who's really kind often has a problem about creating boundaries and saying no. So I think it's really good to get an awareness of your character strengths. And I'm happy to link um, people to a strength survey that they can take from positive psychology, which is completely empirically validated. Um, mm. I think it's really great if you can take a strength survey, really be very aware as you're beginning this process, 
what are my strands? What are my values? Why do they make teaching the, the vocation for me? And how am I going to articulate this? Now, when you're thinking about your personal statement, I think it's really good to get bit at the start you know to think about those strands those values why is teaching your vocation at the start think about how this has played out so far in your journey what has that experience looked like and then think about where you want to take that experience what are the skills talents experience that's going to take you to where you need to be and where do you think you'd like to develop as a human being okay on to the R in relationships Absolutely. So the R of relationships. What we know from psychology and from life is that the greatest predictor of success and well-being, it's always going to be dependent upon the relationships we have. There is no greater predictor. So I think what any interviewer is going to be looking for is just how well you get on with other human beings. And this is really the interaction part. So, you know, you, you can and to some degree, you can show this in your personal statement. You can make reference to the relationships which you nurture with your colleagues, with the students. You know, what do you do to really create that special bond with your students? to really inspire them. I think it's really important that you make reference to this. Equally, what do you do to nurture those strong, powerful relationships with colleagues, with co-workers, with other teachers? I think any interviewer is going to want to see that you are a human being who's very, very capable of taking care of the people around you, because that is ultimately what teaching is about, isn't it? It's that guidance, it's that nurturing, it's that mentoring, it's the coaching, uh, and ultimately it's inspiring, it's leading, isn't it? So what is it about you? What are your characteristics that allow you to really create strong, tight bonds with other human beings? Mm, okay. Um, maybe it's a good idea to actually jump ahead to the interview process now. And so if you've been accepted for interview, invited for interview, sorry, then how are we going to prepare for that? And how are we going to use the, the other aspects of permit to uh, prepare for that? And then once we've done that, um, once we've sort of created that mental space uh, where we will enter the interview, whether it's virtual or otherwise, um, in, a positive, in a positive way, then we can actually think about the interview itself. Absolutely. And, and so I think, you know, the, the thing to know about this virtual interview, it's the fact that this is a formal interview, yet the setting is the informal setting of your home. So I think that can be a little bit confusing for people. They don't quite know how to play this. So the idea would be that whilst this is an informal setting, it's really highly appropriate that you dress just as you would for an ordinary interview. So I think, you know, there has to be a smart dress code that's to start with that being said what would usually happen in an interview as in going in and meeting people shaking hands all of these things aren't going to happen in the same way so what you need to know is you've got to substitute that handshake by a very confident wave to start with because all too often you know technology can be a bit clumsy a bit clunky people are unsure what to do so a smile and a wave that would be the best way to actually physically start the interview now before you get to that stage I would say if you can have a background of, of no clutter a very clear sort of bright background well lit um, you want to convey that you're confident that you feel comfortable in your 
surroundings, but equally that you're smart and that you've made an effort. Please do not sit on top of your laptop for this. Um, you need to maintain a little bit of distance, but make sure you can bridge that distance, the technological distance, through really minimal but confident body language. So beginning with that wave and a big friendly smile, that will be the starting point. And what, what if um, what if I'm living in a you know a HMO a house house with multiple occupancy and uh, I, I don't have this piece of big tiny bookcase and um, a really interesting backdrop and uh, perhaps perhaps it's not the best flat that I'm living in. Um, how can I just make myself myself look as professional as possible within those uh, parameters? Absolutely. I mean, don't don't get too hung up on the backdrop. You, you know, it, it's all about your ability to engage, isn't it? And I think so much of that, it, it's not going to come from the backdrop. You know, if you've got a plain blank wall, that's absolutely fine, too. I guess what we don't want to see is a really untidy house behind you. We need some level of organisation. But what is way more important than any backdrop, it is your ability to engage in a positive and confident way. Now, what, what I think is really interesting is a lot of the work that we've done recently on the psychology of curiosity. And I think all too often the person being interviewed is quite afraid to ask questions. Whereas what psychology has found is that when you ask questions, when you're perceived as curious, automatically the person speaking to you is going to rate you as being warmer and actually more attractive as a human being. So I wouldn't be afraid to ask at the start of the interview, how are you? How are you today? You know, really try to create that rapport through a little bit of curiosity. Um, once again, this is all about you engaging, okay, and you showing your passion. And whilst I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really recommend wild arm gestures, you know, don't be afraid to use a little bit of open body language to convey your enthusiasm, your passion. Please try to smile as much as possible. You know, there's this thing in psychology called emotional contagion, and it's this idea that human beings very quickly pick up, even subconsciously, on the emotions of the per people that they're speaking to, and they will adapt accordingly. So please be the person to really try to infuse the conversation with your positive body language, your positive replies. Be careful about the language you use, both in interview and obviously in the application process. Try to avoid words like quite, somewhat, don't dilute what you're saying down in any way. Really own it, but in a minimal way. Excellent. I was going to ask you about the smile too, because um, you know, the smile can be so um, complex, can't it? That, that it can be a manic smile or a nervous smile. It can be a, a sort of disingenuous smile. Um, mm. So how, how in, in an interview situation can we convey the right kind of smile or is there even the right kind of smile? I mean, yeah, the, these things are really good questions. I, I think, you know, when you're in real life with people, these things are even more noticeable. Um, I, I guess 
there is a bridge here, isn't there? Technology is a barrier or a bridge. In some ways for introverts, maybe the whole process is made a little bit easier. You know, you're not face to face in the same way or you're not sitting in the same room and, and the level of intensity or intimidation or nervousness perhaps goes down for some people. Yet I think for extroverts who are very, very comfortable in that process, there's a degree to which maybe they feel like they're missing out. You know, there is a thing about when you're in a room there is that emotional contagion and you can connect sometimes more quickly and easier so so I think there is a degree to which we do have to compensate to bridge this distance and I guess the best way to do that initially it is to make that smile it is to wave it's not to be you know nervous and sort of half wave but then change your mind in the middle of that um, but once again it's not to overanalyze and not to overthink every single micro gesture I I think the most important thing is that a person feels that they're being themselves, just being really authentic. People have a way of really knowing, of just picking up on when you're just being yourself. And that instantly makes people feel comfortable. So I think, you know, sit up straight, smile when it feels right to smile, but don't force anything. Um, that being said, it's absolutely true that we do tend to mimic the emotional, the, the expression, the facial expression expressions of the people around us so if you want the person who's interviewing you to warm to you there's a chance that the expressions that you express on your face are going to be mimicked subconsciously by the interviewer mm. so it's in your favor I think to go towards the more positive expressions as much as possible yeah, it's interesting what you said about micro gestures too, because is it fair to say that in, in, in an interview situation, the interviewer is not looking for reasons that, you know, to dislike you, for reasons to, you know, to reject you. They're, they're looking for reasons why they're encouraging things, looking for reasons why they might want to uh, develop what you're saying and, and uh, look deeper into, into what you're about. Absolutely, absolutely, which I think is where comes the M, you know, the part of meaning, which forms a part of the PERMA uh, model. The, the sense of M, the sense, sense of meaning that we really, really want to convey, I think this is the most important part. You know, you want to tell this person why having this job is gonna mean so much to you and the difference it's gonna make to your life and how you are going to bring a really powerfully positive difference to this role. And, and maybe all of this sounds extreme, you know, maybe you just do want a job to pay ends meet, which is absolutely fine. But I think, you know, if you're in the right profession, if you're in the right vocation, it's going to be clear that this matters to you because you are making a difference to people's lives, you know, and, and be sure about that. You really are, you know, you're influencing the future generation in a really powerful way. And I think it's important to convey this. And I think, you know, your body language, your passion as you're speaking about this, it is going to shine, it's going to come through. So don't worry too much what this looks like in terms of micro gestures. I think if you're gen genuinely very passionate and very excited about something, it is going to shine through. Don't be afraid to let that passion show, I would say. I think that's, that's fascinating because like, obviously many people have watched the programme from The Apprentice, which we've watched, which many of us would watch before lockdown. And, um, I think that very often interviewees would come across as desperate and they would say things like, I really want this, I need this. Uh, yes, there is a way of doing this without looking desperate, you know, conveying the passion that you have, that you really, really want this job, but without sounding like you're desperate. 
Absolutely. And I think a part of that comes through knowing your own worth as a human being and really having the confidence, the, the courage, you know, the confidence that comes from that. And a great way to do that, because remember, Pete, there's this thing in, in psychology and in life called the negativity bias of the brain. And it means that wherever there's good, wherever there's bad, you will always hone in on the bad because it is the bad that can really endanger your emotional, physical or psychological survival. So, you know, people are always going to be a little self-conscious and a little down on themselves when they feel nervous or when they feel insecure. Now, the antidote to this, it's really to get crystal clarity around what are your strengths, what really, really makes you shine. And this is why I highly, highly recommend, because it's very likely to be an interview question, you know, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Um, however, however it's dressed up, that will be the question. Um, so I really recommend everyone who's listening to take, uh, and we can link to this, take the Values in Action Signature Strengths Survey. Get really clear on what your top five or six strengths are uh, so that, you know, when you go into this situation, you know what you can draw upon. You know what you can do better. It's this idea in life that by trying to correct our weaknesses, we'll only ever be mediocre. But if we really want to excel, we really want to shine, we need to find a way to turn up that which makes us great. So I would really recommend, you know, to get that initial boost of confidence before embarking upon this process that people who are listening um, really take the strengths test. Yeah, and, and I suppose the, the, the final letter in our acronym should help us through um, the, the issue of the fact that many of us aren't feeling so great at the moment. So are we really feeling so well? We can show our best side and, and really come across as, as, as dynamic and energetic and effervescent. Um, <laughs> so that's what the competition are going to do, though, isn't it? Competition are going to somehow turn on on the day, despite how they've been feeling over the last eight months, nine months. Absolutely, absolutely. I understand that it can be really difficult to psych yourself up for something when you haven't had the best uh, introduction to something, you haven't had the best uh, experience there on the job. I understand that. And a great way to psych yourself up too in the sort of preceding days running up to, to the interview process. And this really comes to the, to the last point, the A for accomplishment. A great exercise, it's called your best possible future self. And what I recommend people to do um, to really get into this space, to really get into the zone where you're feeling confident and psyched up, um, it's to take these three consecutive days 30 minutes each day and to do this exercise and what you've got to do you've got to write about your life in the future like you're already living it okay so you're writing in the present tense you're bringing as many emotions to it as possible you're making it really really compelling and it's this idea that your your subconscious mind doesn't always know what's real and what isn't real so that's why we use the present tense it really taps into that realm of fantasy that starts to feel real now it all it might sound a little bit fantastical but please bear with me the idea is if you do this exercise and this is validated from positive psychology for three consecutive days, just spending 20, 30 minutes writing about your life as you're living it, you're going to get a surge of positive emotions, motivation, self-efficacy, 
which means you begin to think that you can actually do these things. You have the capability to do these things. Um, you're going to get the feeling of a life that you'd like to be living. And I think when you can imagine your best possible self, you begin to think of strategies to get to that point. So you begin to see things that you might need to improve, things that you might need to do. Again, it's getting a sense of, of where you can be. Now, in terms of bridging that gap between where you are now and where you want to be, I guess that's where the really honest conversation comes around improvement. You know, when people ask you, what do you need to improve or, or what are your weaknesses or areas for improvement? You can then have a very clear idea. Sorry. sorry, you put up for a second there. Carry on. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, in, in terms of really getting that sense of accomplishment across, though, once again, all too often, human beings are really quick to write off the great things that they've achieved. It's this thing in psychology called hedonic adaptation. And it means we get used to things very quickly. Okay, but that means that when good things happen, we just get, we forget just how brilliant they actually are. So it's a case of going back and really reflecting on your last year of teaching practice and looking at, at accomplishments, however small or large, that are significant or personally meaningful for you. And I think, you know, if you take two or three things that you're really, really proud of, and all too often people are bad at finding these things, but there will be something. Take two or three, three things and really reflect upon why they're so personally meaningful to you and to your teaching practice. And also after that reflection or upon that reflection, what would you like to take forward? What are your learnings from that experience? I think people want to see, I think interviewers want to see that you can really self-reflect. You have that capacity to introspect, to know yourself really well. And from that introspection, you might not have got everything right there in your present experience, perhaps because you haven't had the opportunity, but you know what you'd like to do as a result of that experience. Yeah, and, and the difficulty, of course, is that these achievements feel smaller because they're less spectacular, because they're not in classrooms as much as they, 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 they would normally be. And um, yet, in many ways, the achievements that they um, that they have, uh, that they can uh, provide evidence for are actually more impressive, aren't they? Absolutely, absolutely. You, you know, and it's this whole thing of, of resilience. Think about the resilience that people have had to show this year. You know, we've gotten used to this situation, but in actual fact, there is nothing ordinary about this situation. It's massively challenging. So I would say that everybody who's been doing their teaching practice this year has probably had to show more courage, more grit, more perseverance, you know. Um, so don't undermine, don't underestimate these things. And I'm pretty sure that everybody sitting on an interview panel is going to be extremely aware aware of what's gone on too and they're going to give you credit for that you know I don't think anybody's going to be judgmental about that at all I think as you made the brilliant point at the beginning Pete most of the time these people are on your side they want to see what's great about you so the only thing you've got to do is just reveal that very candidly don't be afraid mm. Now, um, we're talking about the idea of visualization before, doesn't you? You can put it quite like that, but it, but it, it was sort of visualizing how you would like um, your life to be and how you'd like your job to be and so on. 
Um, so what about the cynics then? So there are there are cynics in teaching, Lisa, I don't know if you're aware of that. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's think about the flip side of that. So if you can visualize, if, if through visualization you can actually take yourself into a certain situation in life, is the converse true? Is the flip side true? Can you actually take yourself into a downward spiral, into downward social mobility, for example? Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, I, sorry, and I just want to make this crystal clear. When we when it comes to visualization, we're not saying that you think of something and you write it down and then magically it manifests. You know, that's all kind of law of attraction stuff that doesn't have any scientific validation. I guess what I I guess the point I'm trying to make about visualization is that if you can begin to imagine that you're capable of these things, because all too often that negativity bias, that self-critic, that inner self-critic, it stops us before we even go there. I guess what I'm trying to say is, if you can begin to imagine that, the sense of motivation, the excitement, it's this whole idea, Pete, that human beings are not motivated by goals as much as emotion. So what is the emotion behind all of these goals? And if you can tap into that emotion, I think it's much more likely that you will convey that emotion to anybody you're speaking to, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And that leads us on to the final question, really, which is about, you know, so you've been to the interview, you've got the job. Uh, now imposter syndrome kicks in so how do we deal with that yeah that's a brilliant question and this is where i think the growth mindset comes heavily into play so the growth so for those who aren't familiar and i'm guessing most people listening will be because this is something very applicable to teaching there are two kinds of mindsets that people can have you can have the fixed mindset whereby you believe that skills, talents, they're pretty inherent, they're inside of you, you can't really improve upon them very much. You've either, either got them or you haven't got them. Or else you have the growth mindset, which really believes that with time, with practice, with perseverance, you can improve in every single way. Now, if you're able to foster that growth mindset, if you're able to remember that everyone is imperfect, that every time you get a challenge, an obstacle, you're able, you're able to overcome this if you reframe it as such a challenge or an obstacle, as opposed to a personal failing. If you're able to keep that in mind, if you're able to cultivate that self-compassion, that self-love, you know, it's that idea that listen to the inner voice, and not every single thought you have is true. You know, perhaps one of my greatest revelations, Pete, was that very fact. Just because I think it, it doesn't mean it's real. So when you do have that imposter syndrome, when you do hear yourself saying, you know, oh, I'm not good enough, I can't really do this, I'm a little bit out of my depth, what you need to do is create some separation between your thinking and your articulation of that thought. So you need to say, Lisa, I'm having the thought that, and simply those words, I'm having the thought that, can give you enough distance, enough space to reflect upon how much this thought is actually serving you or not, whether you need to replace it with a new thought. Mm -hmm. I noticed that you use your name there as well. You know, does that enable you to stand back from the situation so that these thoughts don't start to consume you? 
Yeah, somehow it really helps me. I don't know if the name part is essential, but it actually, it, it catches, it catches me. It stops me in my tracks. There's something very, very powerful about names. And I think, to, you know, to call yourself by your name, albeit for a second, it just stops you in your tracks and you reflect. And I think, you know, it, it's that whole piece of self-compassion, which is so very important. It's that idea that, you know, if you spoke to other human beings, like you sometimes speak to yourself, you wouldn't have any friends. So, you know, it's becoming really, really aware of that inner voice. Um, and that inner voice can work for you or it can work against you. You know, for anybody who's really interested, Google the 12 thinking traps. So the 12 ways in which your brain can trick you, um, because again, knowledge is power. So this kind of self-awareness is power. And I think what interviewers are wanting to see, what employers are wanting to see, it's that you have a very heightened self-awareness, you know? And if you don't get the job, then everything that you've said over the last 45 minutes applies, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it, you can't, not everybody's going to instantly like you or not everybody's going to feel that you are the best fit for so many different reasons. And there are so many factors which are out of your control. You know, you never have any idea of how many people you're competing against, let's say, because at the end of the day, you know, it is a numbers game too. So do not get disheartened. You know, we know stories of people, you know, JK Rowling and the likes, however many times her manuscript can't remember but it was you know I don't know if it was nearly a hundred times her manuscript was rejected it can take a bit of time to get to where you want to be but believe me you know when you know who you are when you know what your strengths are your talents your passions your values when you can create that future vision of yourself when you get that clarity about what you want there's no way you're going to give up if one person happens to tell you you're not the right person this time. Do not get disheartened. Do not. You know, there will be an opportunity for you out there. Keep looking, keep growing, keep learning from that process. But equally, try not to take these things personally. It's always great to ask for feedback. You know, they say that after 24 hours, 24 hours after having an interview, you should send a thank you email, just very short, very concise, just to re remind the person and to express that gratitude. A little bit of gratitude goes a long way. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very, very fair, I think, to ask for some feedback at some point. But bear in mind always, you know, um, a person's opinion is a person's opinion and it may or may not be helpful. But, you know, when you hear the same thing over and over again, perhaps then it is time to reflect upon that. But all too often, people are able to pick up on, on what's great about us and what needs improvement. And maybe before even going to interview, ask some people around you that you can really trust. You know, what are my strengths if you don't want to take the strengths test? What do I do well? What could I improve? Because that self-awareness, even if you need to improve upon that, the fact you have the modesty, the humility, the, the self-awareness and the confidence to articulate that without putting yourself down, I think that goes a very long way too. Brilliant. Well, this has been amazing, Lisa, as I expected it to be, but uh, thank you <laughs> thanks so much for delivering and thanks for your infectious positivity. It's so infectious, it should be a controlled drug, I think. Oh, thank you, Pete. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. 
I hope you're inspired and the best of luck with your job applications.